So we're in a theme of, um, we're in our last week of a theme, potted to planted. I think that's right. Um, Shafin just decided on the fly that this was the theme because Jaden preached into it a few weeks ago. And so our key scripture comes from Psalm 92 verse 13, and it is the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in an old age. They're ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. And so that is our key scripture and it is such a, um, such a poetic, rich imagery, isn't it? And so we're going to unpack that a little bit tonight. Um, so my message is titled, The Long Game. The Long Game. Oh, it's Play the Long Game, sorry. The message is titled, Play the Long Game. <laughs> I did name it. And so <laughs> I hope that you know, you know, play the long game. I'm always trying to play the short game. You know how there's two different versions of Monopoly. There's like those Monopoly cards and then there's like the, the game Monopoly. And I'm always like, yeah, give me the cards. I need to go to bed, you know, like <laughs> I want to play the short game. <laughs> but in life, a lot of the time, we're much better off playing the long game, sticking around taking time. And so I'm titled the message, Play the Long Game. But I just want to take a moment to unpack this scripture because it's full of all kinds of imagery. So it starts off with the righteous. And I just wanted to let you know that that's not somebody who's got some sort of perfect moral standard that they've been able to tick off all the boxes on, right? Thank goodness. The righteous refers actually to a person that has been made right with God, in right standing with God through Jesus. And so this person has basically, they've embraced Jesus into their lives, they've accepted that they have sin in their life that separates them from God and that Jesus has actually paid the debt that we owe for that sin that we all carry and has connected us to God through his gift to us through the cross where he has paid that debt. And this miraculously causes any person who embraces this gift through faith puts their trust in Jesus and says, yes, I trust you, Jesus, that you have paid my debt and that I am clean because of you and that I can connect to our God, my creator, through you. Anyone who does this step of faith, this step of trust, is instantly transformed from being in the category of the unrighteous or separated from God into the righteous, connected with God. Isn't that Awesome. So the righteous, any person who's placed their faith in Jesus tonight can count themselves as part of that group. The righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. So this is like a big broad broad brushstroke statement. It's kind of just a zoom out, it skips over the detail and it just depicts this imagery of a Christian or a person that's made being right with God as being like these stunning trees that flourish and grow. And they're known for their beauty. They're known for their longevity. They're known for their quality. Um, and so this is something, this is, the cedar in Lebanon is particularly a very iconic tree. It actually was um, shipped all over the ancient world because it was so durable and such good quality. People wanted it to build things with. And it wasn't just any old thing they built with it. It was beautiful, significant structures. So it's a picture and an icon of longevity, of beauty, of wealth, of provision. So if you get the picture of what, what the cedar of Lebanon is. And so the righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like 
like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. And so here we see this imagery starts to give us a little bit of like detail. The righteous are planted in the house of the Lord. And so the original actually language for this is the probably a better word for planted is more the idea of being transplanted. When you look up the original language, it's, it's about a sprig being transplanted into a garden. And so a sprig is like, I had to look that up too. I was like, what's a sprig? <laughs> Obviously, I'm not a gardener. But a little sprig is like a tiny little seedling that is planted. And so this actually, is, it carries the idea of someone who's new to faith or someone who's newly been made righteous with God, being established in to the house of God. Now, obviously, we don't physically leave our families and our communities when we become Christians. So it carries more the idea of where we draw our sustenance from, where we draw our guidance, our, you know, who we look to for examples, who we look to for our way of life. Um, so it carries the idea of that. And so a, a person who becomes righteous before God, he plants them like a little little seedling into the house of God where they no longer draw their sustenance and their guidance and their, um, you know, help in life necessarily from, you know, their old way of living, but they draw it from, from God, from this new way of living and that which is modelled in the house of God. So then they goes on and says, um, hang on. They're planted in the house of the Lord and they flourish in the courts of our God. And so this little seedling then goes on and begins to bloom and grow and flourish. That's what flourish means, bloom, bloom, grow, produce fruit. And of course, in the Christian context, producing fruit, we're not talking about apples and oranges here. We're talking about, um, about characteristics of love in action, joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all through good times, bad times, you know, and, and we go on to display these increasing measure. So that's fruitfulness. Um, so they flourish in the courts of our God. And then we keep going on the journey. They still bear fruit in old age. They still bear fruit in old age. I think that's just beautiful. It's like we've got this life cycle happening. And this speaks to define the limitations of our humanity and being able to remain vital, be able to remain fruitful, be able to remain of use in, in this family of God that we're placed. They're ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. And I just love that, that finish. It sort of changes like the way it's worded there, um, makes it personal. I love it because you've got this tree or this Christian who's probably endured many things in life. And yet here in their old age, they're still vital, they're green, they're full of the Spirit of God and they are still declaring the goodness of God at that point in their life. It's so victorious, it's such a beautiful imagery of the life cycle of a Christian. It's desirable. But in order to wrap a little bit more practical language around it, it's essentially... The, the, the cycle of a Christian maturity, going from a newborn Christian and, you know, going through that pace of maturity. And so I wanted to wrap a little bit more language around this to help us understand what this means. So 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, it says, So all of us who have had that veil removed, which means the righteous or the Christian, I haven't got time to explain that just now, but they can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit that lives in us, makes us more 
and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So now we've got this picture of a Christian who's planted in the house of God, who now has the spirit of God at work in them, making them more and more and more like God. Let's wrap some more language about around this. Ephesians 4, 11 to th- verse 11 to 13. And it was he, so the Spirit of God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service that he, so that he, the body of Christ, may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So this builds again on this idea that actually to become mature, to go on this journey is in fact to become Christ-like. So the measure of our maturity, if you were able to measure it, I don't think it is that measurable, but it is our level of Christ-likeness. So there's a quote from the C.S. Lewis Institute that puts it like this. It's not actually from C.S. Lewis himself. All these famous people have other people that write for them. It's pretty cool, hey? Anyway, it says this, we are as mature as we are Christ-like. Christ was the only fully mature person. His character was complete, well-balanced and perfectly integrated. All his qualities and capacities were perfectly attuned to the will of his Father. And this is the model that has been set up for us. I thought that was quite a good sum up. So when we consider this imagery of the tree that depicts the life cycle, the process of becoming Christ-like, um, you know, that is done in the context of, of the house of God, by the Spirit of God within someone to bring them on a journey to become more and more Christ-like. This is something that is, I feel like this just calls to the deepest part of us that, that we have to, to know God and be known by him, to become like our creator, Jesus, who is the epitome of goodness and love, and to be able to outwork divine purpose in the context of community together, like no matter what is going on in our lives. It's really inspiring stuff. And I just wanted to take another look, though, for a moment at the cedar tree that we mentioned earlier. It's actually interesting to note that, you know, the Bible says in this scripture that we grow like the cedar in Lebanon. So the cedar is actually a very slow-growing tree. Who knew? It actually only grows 25 to 35 centimetres a year. So it can grow up to heights of about 40 metres, which at the rate of growth that it is, would take 160 years to get there. So I hope my maths is right. Come see me later if I've got that wrong. (laughs) But it's a long time, we can agree. At that rate, up to 40 metres, that takes a long time. In fact, that's longer than a human lifespan. The cedar tree, it, it lasts upwards of 600 years It's even recorded to be as old as a 1,000 years. So the endurance of this tree is is remarkable. It's known for, obviously, it's it's great quality. It's beautiful wood. It's got really smooth, beautiful, strong, pest-resistant wood, right? But it grows slow. It's amazing. It's quality. It's good. But it grows slow. Um, You know, these trees over time flatten out, and that's what causes them to have this beautiful sort of shade. But... They don't flatten out and take that shape until about the 20-year mark, right? (laughs) And, you know, I just, I guess spiritual maturity, it's the same. 
It's a slow burn and I guess that's my first kind of key, my first point, is play the long game because it's a slow burn. Just playing on words here, don't take the, t- the keys too seriously. <laughs> but spiritual maturity, it's not automatic. Like when we take, put our faith in Jesus, we're, we're instantly transitioned from this state of unrighteousness into a state of righteousness and being right with God. But spiritual maturity takes time, just like we see with this tree. I would also present to you that time alone does not produce spiritual maturity. Consider, uh, many of you are students here, right? Who's a student here? Yeah, so many of you. That's awesome. Do you know, I studied occupational therapy at uni and attained my degree many years ago. I'm not going to tell you how many. And, um, you know, and when I went to university... There was lectures back then. I don't know if you still have to go to the building anymore, but I did. I had to go into the building, listen to lectures, go to tutorials, do assignments, read a lot of stuff. And do you know, just rocking up though, spending the four years there and reading all of the stuff, that wasn't enough for me to get a degree. To become a health professional, you have to demonstrate and practice the application of the theory that you're learning. I mean, you've really got to contend with this theory and work out how to make it a part of your practice, how to embody it, how to put it into action. Like, it's not easy. I mean, this is what it looked like for me. We had to do pracs. Is there anyone here doing health profession, you having to do practicals? I think there was a nurse over there. You know what I'm talking about? Or teachers, other people that have practicals, which means you've got to go in real life and start working and providing a health service to people and then you've got someone with experience watching you and giving you feedback and you've got to take that feedback and adjust and then practice again and then they give you more feedback and you adjust and you practice again and, and this is the journey that you go on to become a health professional. Not only that, you get feedback from the person you're, giving, you're doing, you know, providing the service to and then you adjust and you, you apply it again and you practice again and then not only that, You also have to self-reflect and write journals and submit those journals to your lecturer so they can see that you're really doing it and you have to reflect and adjust your practice and try to work out to make sure the theory is in line with the practice and you practice again. Some of you here know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) And that's just to get your degree and then you start working and you just go on the whole journey again because no one's going to let you do anything because you're new. (laughs) even though you've just spent four years of practice. And they're right. Really, you just got your L plates off. You're not going to do anyone any harm. Now actually go and learn how to actually help people. So that, you know, is the journey, this ever-growing, but this, it's, it's deeply, um, you practice, you apply it in your life. And I would suggest to you that the progression towards spiritual maturity, the Holy Spirit takes us on a similar journey of practicing the things that he uh, that they're in the Word of God, the ways of Jesus, of applying them in all different situations. And, and then when we get it wrong, repenting and coming back and doing it again until we become more Christ-like. Does anyone else agree? One of the other things about prac, like, so I had to do like six months of prac right at the end. So I was also working on the weekends because you didn't get paid for your prac. And so I would be like so tired sometimes and so anxious sometimes because going through this process of always getting feedback is a really intense season in your life. But there were no excuses. I still had to rock up and do it and pass. Do you know? I couldn't say, oh, I'm too tired today. Can you just sign me off? Not an option. I had to go and demonstrate this. And I think that, you know, often, you know, 
uh, that it's the same in, in all of our, our, I guess, our life and in your spiritual maturity. It's having that God develops within us the resilience to practice the words of Jesus, to be Christ-like even when it's hard, right? Yeah. James 1.4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Don't you love this scripture? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. I have a love-hate relationship with this message, scripture. Like, often when I'm like, Jesus, why am I going through this really hard time? You know, and I make it sound lighthearted, but I've really said, like, God, why? Like, why? You know, and why for so long? And why will this issue or problem in my life not be removed from me or conquered and it goes on and on and on and this is the verse that God always speaks back to me I want you to be perfect complete and lacking nothing and that word perfect is referring to maturity Christ-likeness again it's not a moral perfection that we hit so how's it going making sense all right so the second point I guess that I would like to draw out of this scripture is play the long game. Don't be taken in by the lure of a shortcut. Has anyone ever taken a shortcut? Was it good? Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Not usually if it hasn't been well tested though, right? Oh gosh, I still get lured in by the idea of a shortcut. Like sometimes I just think I don't need my GPS in the car. I'm just going to go this way. It'll be fine. Half an hour later, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I need to put my GPS on and take the freeway even though it's busy. You know, there's often not shortcuts in life, but they're also the idea of a shortcut. The idea of getting somewhere quicker is so, uh, it's just such a great thought, right? <laughs> So you just really, you know, this is the path you're going on and, ooh, is that a shortcut? And you've got to be so disciplined sometimes not to go down the short cut. And so I guess I just wanted to talk for a moment, you know, in this scripture it says the righteous, they are planted in the house of the Lord. And so I wanted to talk for a moment about sticking with and loving the community that God has established you in. You know, this tree, I think some people might be gardeners, I'm not really, but when you, when you transplant a, a plant into a space and you water it and you look after it and it starts to grow, if you uproot that and move it somewhere else, it, it basically, you know, it'll probably be fine, just get it all going, start again, water it, sunshine, grows a bit stronger. But the reality is with a tree, if you uproot it over and over again and move it over and over again, you will simply keep it weak. Take, for example, my fiddle leaf plant. <laughs> the poor thing. I should just put it down. <laughs> I should really just put it down. And my latest thing is I've got it in a garden outside, which is a terrible idea. But anyway, it's struggling along okay. But yeah, my fiddle leaf, when, when we went through COVID, like the young people here thought that it would be great to use my fiddle leaf in the, um, in the production. And my fiddle leaf loved it because it got all oh, this white light. And it was like, yay. But it never adjusted to being back in my house again. Huh. So it got spoiled. <laughs> anyway, that's a diversion. But you know, when God establishes you into a church, this is no mistake on his part. God is wanting to use that as an environment, that community as an environment that he will use to work within you, to develop you into spiritual maturity. 
You know, and this is most fully realised when we dig down deep into the community and build friendships and relationships where we loved, where we love back, where we, you know, receive constructive feedback sometimes and we give it, where we change, where we hurt one another and get hurt back and we forgive one another and we repent and we try again and we all work towards remembering that we're on a course towards spiritual maturity and we practice Christ-likeness. In a community like this, it'll be messy, it won't be perfect, but it will be healthy because everyone is there with a commitment on the same course towards Christ's likeness. And this is the church. This is the intention and the plan of God. Do you know, our Western individualistic mindset, I think, can be a hindrance to this space. Individualism is the habit of being independent and self-reliant. It's a social construct which preferences an individual self-determination over the collective approach. Now, we are like born, bred, drenched in individualism. It is celebrated, and in many ways, it's a great thing. It's not all bad. But it doesn't really work in the context of this community that God is calling us to. God is actually calling us to an interdependence with one another, to serve one another, not to seek our own self-determination, but actually to serve others and seek others' best. And so I think for us, sometimes we can look for shortcuts to that success, to feeling that connectedness or, um, you know, feeling that we are, I don't know, you know, living the way God would want us to be or where we see ourselves. Sometimes we look for shortcuts to that success. And that really robs us of rich community and fully engaging with our community. There's a, a guy named John Mark Comer, and this is something that Mark Varagis actually posted on social media yesterday, and it was so wonderfully helpful because it articulates it way better than I can. So I'm going to read that to you. I think it's going to go up on the screen as well. And he puts it like this. He says, stay with your church, especially with your closest siblings in the family of God. Live in a thick web of interdependent relationships. Quietly defy the individualism that is wreaking havoc across the West. Surrender your autonomy to love. Place yourself in the constraint of community, for it is there you are set free. Give up your preferences for the sake of others. Enroll in the school of agape, which is love that seeks another's highest good. When you fail a course, throw yourself on God's mercy. Come back to the table, eat the bread, drink the wine, ingest the forgiving love of God. Repent, repent again. And again, risk vulnerability. We will get hurt and we will hurt in return. That's part of facing grace. Our greatest wounds come from relationships, but so does our deepest healing. The risk is worth it. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful and that just describes it so much better than I can, but you know... We are drenched in an individualistic mindset. We are. I am. We can make mistakes and we can think that being planted in the house of God is all about accessing good preaching or great worship experiences or our own self-discovery or, you know, all this sort of stuff or opportunities. And so we tend to view church through what it's doing for us and how we fit in that space and what is going on in our space. 
And so then we tend to move, seeking a better option, and then move again, forever seeking that place when that's actually, you know, these are the kind of shortcuts that we take. But, you know, we believe that it'll lead to something better, but it kind of puts us in the cycle of just starting over and over and over again. And it only sets us back. Because, in fact, our greatest contributor to spiritual maturity is the relationships that we build as a part of the community. And it is that those relationships that God uses as the perfect environment, taking the good and the bad of that community to grow and shape us into Christ-likeness. And so that's why I would present to you another hindrance to our spiritual growth is the inability to stay put with community. I tell you what, though, when communities show up well, when they not only show up, but when they come with something to share, something to give, something to serve others in, well, watch out, because we are poised for a miracle. When communities show up, when they bring their gifts, their acts of service, their smiles, their hugs, their encouraging work, their finance, their hospitality, their prayer, their worship, their preaching, their love, well, that is a community that is full of abundance, that will never lack This is a place that's like a bright lighthouse on a hill, a place that declares that God is real, that God is good. This is a place where many can find a place to belong and many can then find God for themselves. They can then be planted there like a small little sprig and grow and begin to flourish. And this is the miracle in action, the church. We've got sprigs, we've got more mature people and more and more and all the way we go, protecting one another, helping one another as we go. It's such a miracle. A writer for John Piper's Desiring God website puts it this way. Again, not John Piper himself, but, you know, the other guy. Who knows who he is? We all know who John Piper is or a lot of you probably will. He puts it this way. Jesus' very first disciples didn't get to choose each other. Jesus chose them, and they just found themselves thrown together. Hello, Everlife. (laughs) And Jesus gave these early disciples and all disciples afterwards an impossible command, love one another. It had to be impossible to obey in mere human power because this love was meant to bear witness of Jesus in the world and give visible evidence of an invisible God. It had to demonstrate that what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Jesus gave his disciples an impossible context in which to carry out this impossible command, the church. A community of diverse, sin-polluted, defective individuals from all sorts of life-shaping paths living together in an impossible love. Yay! (laughs) Then Jesus gave his church an impossible mission, preach the gospel throughout the whole God-rejecting, Christ-hating world and plant impossible communities among every people where diverse, sin-polluted, defective individuals from all sorts of life-shaping paths would live out Jesus' impossible command to love one another. Impossible love, impossible community, impossible mission. This plan is doomed to fail. There's no way this works unless God exists who makes possible the humanly impossible. And here we are, 2,000 years later. The impossible mission has produced impossible communities, carrying out this impossible command throughout much of the world. So for all the church's problems, there is something miraculous going on here. 
We must not love the church that we can't be with, that idealised community of our imagination. We must love the one we are with. We don't get to choose the disciples we live with, Jesus does. What we get is the incredible privilege and plethora of opportunities for loving these fellow disciples like Jesus loved us. We get to love them warts and all. Because it is through the mutually self-dying, forbearing, forgiving love that warty disciples have for one another that Jesus is most clearly shown to the world and his mission is most powerfully advanced. Isn't that beautiful? And I tell you what, I love this community. I have often thanked God for you all because I didn't get to choose you. I knew that Shafin and I, we were called, we were called to gather a group of people to start a new church. We were called to you. But if I had the option, I would choose you all a thousand times over. I am so blessed by the people that God has brought into my life, into my community, that he's called me to do community with. And I just, I just thank you all for that. Let's stand together. I want to I pray with us for a moment. You know, I acknowledge that, that people, you know, that this is easier said than done. It is hard sometimes to find rich community and to settle into that community because we've been, our trust has been broken in the past, whether it was friendships, perhaps the failings of leadership, perhaps fear in your life, something, something that matters, something that means something. This is not a small thing. And I want to pray for breakthrough for you tonight so that you can go on and establish yourself or allow God to establish you in a house full of his people where you can find rich, deep community where the Holy Spirit can work in you and use that environment and produce within you Christ-likeness. Just take a moment to bring your heart before God. You know, the Bible says that we should bring our cares and our concerns to God because he cares deeply for us. So if there's something for you here tonight that makes you feel overwhelmed by this, this message, that makes you feel distressed in any way, I encourage you to bring this to God who cares for you. Bring these experiences, bring these hurts, bring the fear, whatever it is, bring it to God. He cares for you. And so Jesus, I pray. Holy Spirit, I pray. I pray that you'll be present with your people here tonight. Thank you, Jesus, that you're so merciful, that you're our comforter, that you love us, that you heal us, that you gently lead us on. And Lord, as a, as a community here, some are visiting, some belong to Everlife, some are passing through, whatever it is. But Lord, we come together before you and we thank you, Lord, for the church. We thank you, God, for this impossible community that you've called us to. 
We thank you, God, that you give us the grace and the power to love one another, to establish ourselves in a community. You, you've given us the grace to do this. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray right now for those that are struggling with this, for those that have had hurts flick up, for those that have had their trust breached in the context of your church. Lord, I pray for a deep healing in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you will bring freedom, that you would bring the courage to step out and try again. I pray, Lord God, that you would lead your people into communities where they can grow, communities where they can put their roots down deep, where they can find richness, they can find um, the, the, the exact the thing that you, you've called them to, where they can be loved, where they can love, where they can forgive and be forgiven. Father, I pray for the ability and the empowering grace to step into this type of community for every person here tonight, Lord God. Lord, we declare supernatural grace over every person here. Lord, we just thank you so much, Holy Spirit, that you are bringing us on a journey of Christ-likeness. And we thank you, Father, that that journey of becoming Christ-like leads to the picture of this tree, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that you would help each of us to continue to take steps forward on this journey, to surrender to you, like that song said earlier, that we would make room for you we would make room for you, hear your voice and take those steps forward. Lord God, I pray, even in this moment, that you would reveal to people next steps right now. we stand here tonight, Lord God, and together we declare that this impossible love, this impossible community, and this impossible mission is possible through you, Jesus. And we declare, Father, that you are setting us free and you are bringing us forward, Lord God. And we ask, Father, that this church, this community would be a place where many would come, many would belong, and many would encounter you for the first time, Lord God, that we would have many baby sprigs in this church, many that would grow into maturity, Lord God. In Jesus' name.